Thank you, awesome band, Tiffany, that was amazing. So good morning. Ah, there's a few of you awake this morning. Um, I am Teresa, I'm the women's pastor here at East Point. If you're visiting with us, Pastor Kurt, our senior pastor is with a few of our staff and a few of our other uh, congregation members are on their way to Guatemala as we speak. They are actually traveling today. So if we could just continue to pray for them and pray for their week ahead and what God wants to do in them while they're there, that would be fabulous. So for the last few weeks, um, we have heard about how joy matters in our lives through a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church of the Philippians. Paul was able to rejoice and while chained in prison. So if you've heard the messages, you've heard a lot about his history. Only a man, at least this is what I believe, only a man with intense passion for Jesus could see things the way Paul did in his life and in his ministry. And today we're gonna to continue through Philippians by going to chapter two. And if you wanna to turn to your Bible app or if you wanna open up your Bible to Philippians chapter two, that's what we're gonna read from today. And we're gonna talk about how passion guides us to a joy unspeakable, okay? So that's where we're going today. Um, speaking of passion, I am a fairly passionate person. Most people would say I'm extremely passionate by nature. I'm either all in or I'm not in at all. And in contrast, my husband, I would say, well, I would just describe him as kind of flatline. Uh, not in a bad way. He just doesn't experience these highs or these lows. He's just kind of there. And as you can imagine, that caused some tension in our marriage as we've been married for over 20 years. And I remember early in our marriage, there was a time in particular that I was sitting there, we we're just vegging out for the night and I was trying to tell him this story and I was passionately and emotionally involved in telling this story and I was giving it everything I've got. And I was just about to finish the story and I was anticipating that he was gonna have this awesome emotional response right back to me. But as I sat there, he just kind of sat there and without even looking at me, he basically says, oh, that's cool. Seriously, that's all I get? Come on, come on, give me a little bit more. So I was so mad being the immature person that I was 20 some years ago that I basically looked at him. And by the way, I was pregnant at the time. So hormones might have had play in this, but I was pregnant and I just said, you know what, buddy? I'm gonna pray right now that our child has my personality and my passion and not yours. Yeah, well, God answered that prayer. And suffice to say that for 22 years now, with every emotional meltdown, with every emotional outburst, with every kick of the car door, my husband just calmly looks at me with his flatline voice and says, you prayed for him to be just like you. <laughs> Turnabout is fair play, right? But as I have grown older and wiser, I have realized that passion is not about these hyped up emotions, okay? That's what we're gonna talk about passion today. Passion is about love for something so deep that it is reflected in everything you do. So the definition of passionate is a showing or an action caused by strong feelings or strong belief. Passion is an expression of our belief system and passion flows out of deep love for something or someone. 
Okay, so you can have levels of like for someone. You can like people, certain people, more than you like other people. You like certain foods more than you like other foods. But love does not work that way because love is not a feeling about something. Love is an action of a commitment. It is a choice that we make. And when you experience passionate love, then you transfer from this feeling of it's about me. And it goes from, it's no longer about what I get out of what I love, but it's what I get to give to what I love. That is passion. Paul was an extremely passionate man. Before he had an encounter with Jesus, he passionately hated him. And he, everything in his life and everything that he did reflected that passionate hate. But after an encounter with Jesus, he passionately loved him. And now suddenly everything in his life reflected that passionate love for Christ. And it was out of that passion that Paul wrote what he wrote that we're gonna read today. And we're gonna read through Philippians 2, verses 12 through 18. And that's kind of where we're gonna focus on today. So therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Notice that's work out, not work for, there's a difference. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, ouch, I don't know about you, but that hurts. So that you may be become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like the stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run, on, run in labor, but even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. See, it was passionate love for Jesus that gave Paul this unspeakable joy and enabled him to write about obedience while actually suffering in prison for it. So here's the big idea that I want us to get for today. Passionate love for Christ leads to an obedient surrendering of our life and out of that life comes great joy. Obedience is the key factor in experiencing a joy that matters. That is tough to swallow, but I need to say that again. Obedience is the key factor in experiencing joy that matters. There's three things that I see in this passage that Paul writes about passionate obedience. The first one is that passionate obedience makes a commitment to a lifelong process. You see, it doesn't stop at salvation, that moment where we accept Jesus into our life and receive his forgiveness. That is just the beginning. Otherwise, it's like somebody giving you a box of chocolates and you just hold it in your hand and you smell them, but you never take a piece of that chocolate and you never put it in your mouth and that silky smooth chocolate doesn't get to dissolve on your taste buds. Do you see my point? Everybody wants to go out and get chocolate right now. 
But let's put the chocolate aside. Verse 12 says, as you have always obeyed, continue, and to obey is implied here, to obey, to work out your salvation. Now, when Paul says, work out your salvation, he's not talking about working for it by doing all these works and these acts and these deeds, because the Bible teaches that we're saved by grace, not by our acts. What Paul is talking about here is a big word that we like to call sanctification, which basically means to make holy or set apart, okay? So have you ever had an ear infection? And you accept the fact that you need an antibiotic, but that antibiotic, by accepting it, you're not cured. It's not until you take that antibiotic and you follow all the instructions and faithfully see it through to the end, that's when it starts to kill off the toxins in your body so that you can be healed from the infection. Paul is saying you're saved, but now what I want you to do is to continue being obedient in that so that you can have Christ come into your life. And when he does, you're ingesting him and he is working out all the toxins that have built up in our hearts and in our minds from being exposed to the world. See, it takes a minute to accept Jesus, but it takes a lifetime to become like him. And it all lies in a passionate obedience to continue what was started. So the second thing I see about passionate obedience is that it's an attitude of the heart. See, there's this little boy and he was watching TV, but he was standing up on the couch. And every time his mom walks by the room, she would tell him, you need to sit down on your bottom while you're watching TV. For the umpteenth time that she walked by, she finally said, you know what? Either sit down on your bottom or I'm turning the TV off. The kid plops down on the couch and he folds his arm and he says, fine. On the outside, I'm sitting down. But on the inside, I'm still standing. <laughs> See, his actions were obedient, but his heart was not. Verse 14 says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. And that, that doesn't refer to this stomping of your feet or when you send your teenager up to their room and they slam the door behind them. That's not what this is talking about. This refers to that whispering and that mumbling under our breath that we think that no one hears. I've done it. But see, the problem is our heart hears it. Because what you think leads to how your heart feels. See, if you think this is too hard, then you are gonna feel overwhelmed. If you think I can't give this up, then you're gonna be defeated before you even start. If you think it's not worth it, then your heart has already begun to harden before you have even started. See, I think we grumble and complain because we forget that God has placed these commands in our life for our sake, not for his. There are boundaries that protect us from the dangers that lurk outside of being in his will and in his plan for our lives. See, God knows that multiple sex partners in your lifetime will damage your soul. He knows that unforgiveness will poison your heart, not theirs. 
He knows that pride will trip you. He knows that greed will leave you completely empty. He knows that there is no joy in guilt or in regret or in shame. But how do we fix this? Well, our, our being is made up of four components. And we see that in Mark chapter 12, verse 30. And it says, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Mark is saying that everything we think, everything we do, everything we believe, everything we feel needs to be passionately surrendered to God and his plan. It takes four forces for an airplane to get off the ground. Lift, weight, thrust, and drag. The reason a plane flies is because it obeys every one of those forces of aerodynamics. If it doesn't obey even one of those areas, then it is never gonna get off the ground. And worse yet, it could crash and burn. I think our beings are the same way. You see, what we do instead is we say, God, you can have my soul, but I will do what I want with my body. Or God, I will serve you with all of my strength, but don't ask me to filter what comes into my mind. See, if we don't, if we don't surrender every aspect and even one of those does not obey the love and the laws of Christ, then we risk never soaring above our circumstances or worse yet, we risk crashing and burning in a sea of regret and shame instead. It is a process of constant surrender to work out our salvation without complaining and without arguing and allowing God to have every aspect of our being and do what he wants with every aspect of our being. The last thing about passionate obedience that I see here is that it results in change of character that impacts the world. See, when we walk passionately in God's word, it changes us. And we start responding to our circumstances differently. We start living through life differently. We start making different choices. Verse 15, Paul says, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like the stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Do you know what this is saying? It's saying it's not just about us. Salvation is something that God does for us. But sanctification, that process of being set apart is something that he does in us. And then he does something through us by touching the world as a result. It's about living in such a way that we become a light in the darkness of a world that will never see Jesus if we don't continue to work this out and become a passionate, obedient Christ follower. And then when we do this, God produces something that we like to call fruit. The Bible refers to this as fruit. Galatians 5, 22 and 23, very common scripture. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, 
kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such thing, there is no law. You see, when we start passionately obeying Christ and his love and his law and his commands for our life, then the world begins to see that there is love instead of hate, that there is peace instead of fear, that there is joy in place of sorrow. And the world is not gonna see that on their own. It has to come from a passionate, obedient Christ follower. And then what happens? And then Paul says, and that is where your joy is found. In verse 17, and I love how the New Living Testament puts this, but I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God, like your faithful service is an offering to God. And I want all of you to share in that joy. Paul is saying that even if my obedience brings me death, I will still have joy. How? How can he say that? Because he realized that passionate obedience changed him and it gave him a purpose that the world cannot give him. And Christ fulfills a purpose in him to reaching and being light in a dark world. And I guarantee that will bring you great joy. So that's kind of an overview of the passage and what passionate obedience and what Paul lived his life out and what he encouraged the other churches to live out too. But what I really wanna focus on today is why is that so hard for us? Why do we struggle and we stamper along and we look at other people's faith and we think, why do they seem to have it figured out? And I don't, what is different about them? I believe it lies in this passionate obedience. But we look at the word obey and we treat it like it's a four letter word. Okay, well, it is a four letter word, but it's not that kind of four letter word. It's not that horrible, awful, horrible word that we try to teach our children not to use. See, we all obey something. We don't want to because it, it suggests this lack of personal control, but we still all obey something, whether it's others in your life, whether it's your own desires and dreams, whether it's your past, whether it's your addictions, we all surrender to something. But none of those things will bring a joy that matters, at least not one that lasts for very long. The only place to find it, I believe, is in passionate obedience to Christ and Christ alone. But why do we struggle with this? I'm gonna suggest three things today that will hopefully challenge us to get past where we are now and move into a deeper joy in Christ. The first one, why do we struggle? Because we don't obey because we aren't passionately in love with Christ. Passionately in love with Christ. See, the biggest obstacle to becoming a passionate, obedient Christ father, fo follower is apathy. By definition, apathy is a state of indifference, a lack of interest, or here's my personal favorite, a suppression of passion. Doesn't mean that the love's not there, but apathy causes us to suppress it from becoming what it was intended to be. See, apathy lies in the middle of rejecting and embracing. Because just because we 
accept God's values does not mean that we are embracing. Just because we don't reject what he has to say does not mean we are walking in it and living in it. If we are just identifying with him, then we are not passionately in love with Christ. We're living in an apathy and it destroys our ability to have joy. Faith and obedience do not work in apathy. They only work in the context of passionate love. And when you love Jesus on that level, you don't care what you have to give up, what lengths you have to go. You don't care what pain you have to go through. You continue to work it out. Romans 12, 11 says, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Do you know what the definition of fervent is? Having or displaying passionate intensity. The scripture calls us to this passionate love. This isn't just some insane, oh, well, I'm gonna go shout on the street corners. Cause you may say, I, never may, I may never be that person that raises my hands or dances for Christ or shouts from the corner, but that is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a choice of passionate love that says I surrender all of my being, all four aspects of my being to Christ and his plan and his will. I read a secular article that describes the characteristics of a passionate person. Now remember, this is a secular article. However, if you put it into the perspective of scripture, we are called to be every one of these characteristics. The first one was focused. Scripture says, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness. Focus only on me first. Learners, we're called to be learners. God says, let my word abide in you, but his word cannot abide, we cannot, his word cannot abide in us if we are not stretching ourselves to become learners and knowers of the word. Expressive, and it's not about emotions, it's about the way we act out our faith. Perseverance, we're called to finish and press on toward the goal and finish the race that we started. Productive. We're called not to be slothful, but to be fruit bearers of all those things that we talked about before. And then the other characteristic they listed was risk takers. That is what faith is. It's taking a risk in what you cannot see. Our entire faith is a risk wherever God calls us to be. If you've watched any of the Olympics, you will know that none of those Olympic athletes got to the Olympics because they had an apathetic attitude toward their sport. No, apathetic athletes do not experience the joy of victory and apathetic Christ followers do not experience the joy of the victory in Christ that he has in our lives if we do not surrender to the passionate obedience that he calls us to. Instead, apathetic Christ followers, what we do is we suppress that passion. And I think that leads to this desensitization of sin and the world and the things around us to where we're no longer shocked or phased by things that we see. We're no longer grieved by the things of the world that are happening around us. It's almost like we're a frog in a pot of water. 
You know, the, the, the illustration where if you put a frog in a pot of boiling water, it's immediately gonna jump out because it senses the danger. But if you put it in cold water and you gradually turn up that heat, that frog will have no idea that it's dying a slow death. I think society has cultivated that same environment for us because see, they basically age appropriately graduate us from one thing to the next, to the next, to the point we don't even see that it's destroying our heart and our spirit. And before we know it, we're dying and we have no clue why. This is why I, I, I kind of struggle with this whole age appropriate thing. I may think it's great because we have an understanding, but let me just say that if you have a Snickers bar, the nutritional value of that Snickers bar does not change whether you're two years old or 52 years old. And I really believe that the things of Christ that he calls us to are the same way. The things he calls us to stay away from is the same way. It does not change from our childhood to our adulthood. But instead of listening to that sensitive spirit and that prodding of God and what he wants in our life, and instead of working out our salvation, with fear and trembling, like verse 12 tells us to do, we tend to treat the Bible like this, this, this collection of good ideas that we just can pick and choose from. But I'm here to tell you that the moment that we start doing that, the moment we start treating the Bible like it's something that we can pick and choose from, what tastes good or what doesn't, then we are no longer God. God is no longer God in our lives, but we are. And I don't know about you, but I don't make a very good God. None of us do. See, apathy suppresses our love and our passion. But passionate obedience says, I love Christ more than I love the comfort and the pleasures of this world. See, I think we also don't obey though because we try it on our own. Have you ever had something in your life that you are just powerless to overcome? You come back to it over and over and over and over again. You try to be that good person, but no matter how hard you try, you still fail. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's a fear. Maybe it's an attitude. Maybe it's a past wound. God wants to do more in your life than you are capable of ever doing on your own. Paul says in verse 13, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. See, there's a big difference in living for Jesus and Jesus living through us. He doesn't just ask us to obey, he enables us to do what we can never, ever do or accomplish ourselves. The minute we say, I can't, we have restricted God from the ability to show us that he can. And then we miss out on the ultimate joy of experiencing his power and his authority in our lives. The other thing that I think keeps us from obeying is we are not willing to die to ourselves. See, when a verse in scripture starts with the word therefore, you kind of have to go back and you have to see what was said before. 
because it means that it's a response to something. And Paul uses the word therefore at the beginning of this passage. So if you go back and you look in verse eight, what Paul says, he's writing about Christ and here's what he says, how Christ being found in appearance as a man humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. See, Christ was passionately obedient to the point of death, even an excruciating and painful, humbling death on a cross for our sake. So what Paul is saying, therefore, because Christ was obedient and did this, therefore, continue to walk in that obedience that you have walked in, which is the process of dying to ourselves, so that we can become more and more like Christ. Hebrews 12.2 tells us that it was for the joy set before him, for before Christ, that he was able to endure the pain and the reality of the cross. My question for you and me is what do you need to be obedient and die to in order to experience the joy that is set before you, that you can't experience until you've walked in that obedience. Jesus suffered and he walked that path of obedience without grumbling or complaining. And because of his passionate obedience, he became a light in the dark world. And that is what God wants to do in each and every one of us as we walk and continue to work out our salvation to become more like him. And I guarantee that those are the moments that you will find joy that is everlasting and a joy that matters because you are making a difference and you are fulfilling a purpose that God has placed in you. When I was in college, I was 19. It was my sophomore year. I went to a Christian university. I met a gal out in the community, not at the university, and realized I found out shortly after I met her that she had been kicked out of the Christian university the year before. I met her and I also met her friend who I also found out was kicked out of the university. Come to find out they had been kicked out because they had a homosexual relationship. Now this was over 25 years ago, so there wasn't a cultural acceptance even of this that there is now, but certainly not at a Christian university. But I knew the moment that I met them that I needed to love them and be a friend to them. And I knew that it wasn't gonna go over well. But I made a choice to stand in obedience to what I felt like God was calling me to do. As a result, I lost friends. I was accused of being gay myself because I associated with them. I lost my opportunity for leadership within the university. My par- the roommate, my roommate's parents basically called the university and said, she's not fit to be a roommate to my daughter. So they pulled her out of my dorm room and I was left alone. But I stuck to it. I stayed and I followed through with what God asked me to do. It was probably a year and a half later that there was a knock on my dorm room door. It was one of the gals and I will never I will never forget what she said to me. She basically looked at me and she said, Teresa, I want out of this lifestyle and I wanna come back to God. 
but everybody else has written me off and I had no one else to turn to. Can you help me? And I am here to tell you that the joy, and I still remember it so distinctly, that I felt at that moment made every accusation, every rejection, every loss that I had experienced because of my obedience, it made it completely worth it because I was able to be a light in somebody's dark world. That is what passionate obedience calls us to. Now, this isn't a browbeating. This is not me trying to tell you, you should do, 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 This is about something that's more that you can attain that you may not be experiencing because you're not passionately obeying what Christ has for you in every area of your being. See, this is the prayer that I think we should pray every day. It's in Psalm 139, 23 through 24. Search me, God, and know my heart. And you can replace that with my mind and know my soul and know my strength. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along a path of everlasting life. That is the prayer that I pray that we can pray, each of us, so that we can start living and experiencing a joy that matters regardless of what our circumstances are. And it all results as a, out of a passionate, obedient surrendering to Christ. Let me pray for us. Lord, as you well know, I am extremely passionate about this. I've lived a life of a lot of obeying a lot of things. And I personally know that obeying you brings such a joy that the world cannot offer. Lord, I just pray for all of us here right now. God, we all want more joy in our life. I don't know anybody who doesn't. So Lord, I just pray that you would open us up, that you would start searching our hearts and our souls and our mind and our bodies. What is not of you that is keeping us from soaring above our circumstances, that's causing us to crash and burn? Jesus, reveal those things to each of us right now so that we can go out into the dark world and be a light for you so that we can stop living in apathy and we can experience the victory of your love and your grace. Lord, I pray that for each and every one of us. And maybe there's somebody here right now and you haven't even made that first obedient step that says, I choose Jesus, that I choose his acceptance, that I choose forgiveness of my sins because of what he did obediently on the cross. If that's you, you have an opportunity right now to take that first step of obedience. And if that's you, then pray this prayer with me. Jesus, I recognize my need for you. I recognize that my life is a mess, that I've tried it on my own and I don't want that anymore. I wanna be obedient to you because you were obedient for me. So I accept you into my life and I accept your forgiveness in my heart. And I am committed to living a lifelong process of becoming like you. 
Lord, for all of us, I pray that we would have the courage to ask the questions of what you have next for us. What's the next thing in our heart, in our life that we need to surrender to you so that we can passionately experience the joy that you have set before us. I ask all of this in your name, amen. I'm gonna ask you to stand. The band's gonna lead us in one more song. This song is basically the verse that we just read, the prayer that I just prayed. I pray that you would have an opportunity as you sing these words to let them just envelop your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength so that you can see as you sing this song, what more God has for you that you may still be missing out on. Pray that as you sing these words and as the band leads us. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Thank you, God. You know, if, if you prayed that prayer for the first time today, like you first accepted Jesus and took that strip, first step of obedience, we have a gift that we wanna give to you. And on the back on the tables as you exit, there's just this little gift bag. It's just got some stuff in you, in there to help you along the way and with your journey. If you want prayer, come forward. We have people who will pray for you. I would be willing to pray for you. So you're not doing this journey alone, never alone. We're not called to do it alone. So my prayer for you is that you experience something bigger and more joyful this week because of blatant obedience to God, because of passionate obedience to his God. There's black boxes on the back. If you missed the offering or the connection cards, feel free to drop those in. Meet and eat. There's hot dogs, hot and ready and available. Go meet some staff, go meet some other people and have some great conversations together, but don't forget your kids in the process, okay? I hope you have an incredible week. Thank you for letting me share my heart today. I love you and God bless you.